0: If you guys want to go ahead and take your seats and open your Bibles to Romans chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 19 through 28. If you're visiting with us and you don't have a Bible, um, the Black Pew Bibles in there will be the translation I'm preaching from this evening. It's the English Standard Version. Uh, But again, Romans chapter 3, verses 19 through 28. Real quick, I'm, I'm glad to be back in the pulpit this evening. Um, I, I was, I'm really grateful uh, for being able to take a few weeks off uh, from preaching so I could process and deal with uh, some of the things going on in my life. And I'm incredibly grateful to Pastor Gary Chafins, uh, Pastor Stephen, and our elder candidate, David Allison, for giving me a break and helping me. I'm really grateful. Um, but again, this evening, we will be in Romans chapter 3, verses 19 through 28, and we will be considering the doctrine of justification. Now, I want to preach on this doctrine for a few reasons. Uh, First, it's Reformation Month, right? Uh, It's not Halloween. It's Reformation Day. Get that right. Um, And it's always good to hear the truth of justification by faith alone through Christ alone. Uh, And that truth is especially on our minds, or rather many of our minds, uh, this month as we rehearse and remember the great Protestant Reformation that began over 500 years ago. Uh, A second reason that I want to preach this text this evening and preach on this doctrine uh, is is this, in general, we need to have this doctrine of justification by faith alone pounded into our heads and our hearts on a regular basis so that we don't forget it. And so from time to time, it's good to explicitly consider the doctrine of justification. Uh, But third, and even more pressing, I want to preach on this for practical pastoral reasons. One, if there are any unbelievers among us this evening, I, I want to appeal to you to believe upon Christ. And beyond that, just this past month, I've actually spoken with three or four people in this congregation who have expressed to me that sometimes they doubt whether or not they're Christians. And when I ask, you know, why do you think that? Why do you think maybe you're not a Christian? Uh, their answer is not that there is some flagrant, grievous especially heinous sin in their lives. It's not that. And it's not that they're maintaining any heresies or anything like that. But when I ask them, why do you doubt your salvation? They've said something along the lines of, because I'm not sure if I've done enough to be a Christian. Or because I still sin. Or because I was taught growing up that you have to do a bunch of stuff in order to be a Christian, or rather to become one. In our church, people have said that. And it's in light of those things that I want to address and answer the question, how can man be made right with God? How can man be made right with God? That's the question we're going to consider this evening. And that's honestly the great question of religion, isn't it? It's the great question of all religion. How can man be made right with God? How can man be received by God as a friend and not an enemy? That's the great question that every single human being needs to be able to answer rightly. And the answer to that question is the heartbeat of the gospel itself. And I'll tell you right now, at the beginning, there are only two fundamental answers to that question. How is man made right with God? There are really only two fundamental answers, and they summarize all the religions of the world. The first answer is this. Man works and does and merits And earns right standing with God by his own actions. There's one answer people give you. And that is every religion in the world teaches that. That is every religion except the true one. Every religion except for Christianity teaches that you earn right standing with God by what you do. But then the other answer, the right answer, is this. God has worked. God has done. And merited and earn salvation and righteousness for his people in his son, Jesus Christ. The religions of the world are religions of do it yourself and live. Make yourself right with God. That's the religion of the world, but ours is a religion of done by God and saved by him. So that's what we're going to consider this evening. How can man be made right with God? And we're going to see, I'm going to tell you on the front end, that the answer is this. We are made right with God by God's grace as a gift through faith in Jesus Christ whereby we receive the righteousness of God and a legal declaration of righteousness from Him. Let me read that to you again. We are made right with God, by God's grace, as a gift through faith in Jesus Christ, whereby, that is through that faith in Christ, whereby we receive the righteousness of God and a legal declaration of righteousness from Him. And we will see this from what I believe is the most important passage in the entire Bible. Romans chapter 3, verses 19 through 28. Now with that said, if you would and are able, please stand with me now for the reading of the inspired, inerrant, and infallible word of God. Romans chapter 3, verses 19 through 28. The apostle Paul writes this, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Our great God and Father, we humble ourselves before you now and we ask that you would be merciful to us. By your grace, please open our eyes, ears, hearts, and minds to receive your word. Teach us the beautiful truth of your gospel, and teach us to look to Christ alone for our salvation. We ask that you would glorify yourself this evening in the preaching of your word. And we ask for this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. Now, our text begins with a very negative statement from the Apostle Paul in verses 19 and 20. And really, these verses come to, uh, rather come to us at the end of an argument that Paul has been making since chapter 1, verse 18. And that argument Paul's been making for almost three chapters can be summarized with this. None is righteous. No, not one. Romans 3.10 i could summarize paul's argument none is righteous no not one paul's been arguing for almost three chapters that all human beings both jew and gentile real quick if you're not a jew you're a gentile so this is everybody stands condemned before god for their sin paul's been proving for three chapters now that all of us know some things we all know that god exists We all know right from wrong. All of us have sinned. All of us know that we should seek God and worship Him, but have not. All of us have rejected God and sought to worship other things. All of us are guilty before God for breaking His law. And all of us know that we deserve to be condemned by Him for our guilt and sin. And what condemns us is the law. And by law here, I'm referring, as Paul is, to the commandments of God. The things that he tells us to do and not to do. The law is the way that God commands all human beings to live. And this law is summarized in the Ten Commandments. And the law condemns us because we don't keep it. The law tells us what God requires of us. But then we don't do it. We do not keep the law perfectly. And the law knows nothing of grace, does it? Law knows nothing of grace. What I mean by that is the law does not bend. The law doesn't bend. The law simply says if you do not obey perfectly, then you are guilty before God. That's what the law says. That's the nature of all law, isn't it? Right? All that commandments can do is tell you what to do or not to do, and then reveal whether or not you've actually obeyed. That's all that law can do. And again, the law does not bend. As on Mount Sinai, it's written in stone. It doesn't bend. It doesn't change. The law doesn't flex. You are either righteous because you have kept it at every single part, every day of your life, Or, you are guilty and unrighteous because you have broken it at any part ever. And in our case, that is the case of all mankind, Paul says, none is righteous. No, not one. None of us have perfectly kept the commandments of God. No, not even one. All of us have sinned. All of us have broken the law of God, and so all of us are condemned by the law. And just real quick, before you do this ignorant thing that we often do, and we think, well, you know, everyone's broken the law as if there's some kind of safety in numbers. Like, yeah, I sin. You know, there is no safety in numbers because you will stand before God on your own in the judgment. There is no safety in numbers, and even if there were, all the nations of the earth are as dust on a scale before him. There is no safety in numbers. We're guilty. We're guilty. And we're condemned. We have no righteousness. All we have is guilt before a holy and just God who judges all men. All we have is sin. By definition, we are lawbreakers. Or as John tells us in 1 John, we are lawless. Because sin is lawlessness. And the law... And even our own consciences shows us that. Because as we look at what God demands of us in his word, we see that we haven't done it. And as we sit alone in the quiet, when everything fades away for a moment, in those moments when we're lying in bed, our consciences condemn us. Because we know that we've done wrong and that we will one day give an account for it. And it's in light of that that the Apostle Paul says in verse 19, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Now there are some nuances in this verse that I don't have time to address this evening. If you have questions, I can address them at another time. But I want you to see right now the most basic point that the Apostle is making here. The law of God speaks. And when it speaks, it shuts every mouth. And it holds the world, the whole world, all mankind. It holds all of us accountable to God. The imagery here in the text is that of a courtroom. If the defendant's mouth is stopped, that means that the defendant is no longer able to make any argument in his defense. His mouth is shut up. That is, the defendant is found guilty. He has nothing to say to the prosecution. He is, as we like to say, dead to rights. And so this law that speaks is our prosecutor. It gives evidence that we are guilty and our lives are the evidence. The law reveals our sin because it shows in the courtroom of Almighty God that we have not kept the law. And so in the judgment, when we stand before the bar of God, we are found guilty and we have no defense there is no excuse we're just guilty and as guilty sinners we are worthy of condemnation in his sight remember this god is just he is the just judge of all the earth who will punish the guilty do you feel the weight of this do you feel it because you know it's true you know that you're guilty You know it's true. You've broken God's law. You know you stand condemned before Him, and you know in your heart of hearts that you have no defense. You objectively did it. You objectively have not lived perfectly according to the law of God, according to His standards, and deep down, you know that He is holy. You know that He hates sin. You know that if your conscience condemns you that you are indeed condemned and you know that you will not get away with it. You know that he will punish the sinner. The law of God exposes us for what we actually are. The law of God exposes us as sinners. That is the purpose of the law. That's one of the primary reasons that God gave the law to expose us and the law does a great job does a great job at it so allow me now to go through the summary of the law in the 10 commandments and i'm going to interrogate you as if i am the prosecution in the courtroom of god i'm going to speak on behalf of the law now and you're going to answer in your heart first question have you always placed god above all others Have you made him at all times, all days, every moment of your life? Have you made him your greatest desire and greatest theme? No, you have not. And so you are guilty of breaking the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Second question, have you always worshipped God exactly as he commands you to? Have you always had the proper external means of worship regulated by the word of God alone? Have you always worshiped him through the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ? Have you always had a perfect heart posture of joyful and serious reverent worship? No, you have not. And you're guilty of breaking the second commandment that teaches us how to properly worship the Lord. Third question, have you always feared God? Have you always shown him the perfect respect and reverence that he deserves? Have you always perfectly revered his words, word, works, names, and attributes? No, you have not. You've made light of him many times. And so you're guilty of breaking the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. We're going through all of them, by the way. You need to see this. Fourth question, have you perfectly kept the Sabbath day holy? Have you perfectly rested from your own words, works, labors, and recreations in order to devote the Lord's day to God? Have you ever perfectly and joyfully never desired to do anything but worship and do good works on the Sabbath? No, you haven't. And you're guilty of breaking the fourth commandment. You shall remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Fifth question, have you perfectly honored assisted, submitted to, and respected your parents, and not only them, but all who are in legitimate authority over you? Have you always sweetly submitted to your superiors with glad and joyful obedience under God? No. And you're guilty of breaking the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. Sixth question, have you always perfectly loved? Have you always perfectly loved even your enemies? Have you always perfectly desired the best for your fellow man? Have you always refused to hold a grudge, but instead perfectly desired peace with those who have wronged you, never desiring revenge? Have you always perfectly defended the life and well-being of others? No, you haven't, and you've broken the sixth commandment. You shall not murder. Seventh question, have you always perfectly kept your marriage vows? Even with your eyes, Have you always kept yourself perfectly chaste? If you're not married or in your unmarried state, have you avoided fornication? Have you avoided pornography use? Have you avoided aberrant sexual desires and perversions? Have you always perfectly refused to lust? No, you haven't. And you've broken the seventh commandment. You shall not commit adultery. Eighth question. Have you perfectly worked diligently? Always. Have you always refused to take that which does not belong to you? Have you always been perfectly honest in your financial dealings with both God and man? Have you always worked as hard as you can for your employer? No, you haven't. And you've broken the eighth commandment. You shall not steal. Ninth, have you always been perfectly honest? Have you at every single moment of your life been honest with others, yourself, and God about all things? Have you always hoped for the best and thought the best of others and refused to gossip and refused to believe a bad report without firm evidence? No, you have not. And you've broken the ninth commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Tenth question Have you always been perfectly content with what God has given to you? Have you always rejoiced when God gives someone else something that you wanted? Have you always prayed that God would increase others and be good to them? Have you always been grateful for all that God puts in your life, no matter what it might be? You have not. And you've broken the tenth commandment you shall not covet. Or we can summarize these even further, as our Lord Jesus did with the two great commandments. First, have you always loved God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? That is, every second of the day, with no breaks, always perfect love and obedience to God. No, you have not. Or second, have you always perfectly loved your neighbor and sought his good, just as you do for yourself? Every day, at all times, with no breaks. No, you have not. You are guilty, as am I. And the law cannot save you. Please, get that tattooed on your arm. The law cannot save you. The law only serves to condemn you because you've not kept it perfectly. It cannot make you right with God. You will never be declared righteous in God's sight through the law. And that's why Paul goes on to say in verse 20, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. By works of the law, we will not be justified. What does that mean? That's an important line. By works of the law, Paul's referring to obedience to the law, working it, doing the law. That is by obedience to the law. And justified here is a very important word. Justified. To be justified means to be declared righteous by God. To be declared righteous in his sight. To be declared. it's It's a forensic declaration. That is, it's a legal term. It's for God to say that this person's relationship to the law is righteous. This person is righteous according to the law. To be justified means for God to declare one as perfectly righteous in his sight, a perfect law keeper. To be justified means that God has declared one to be in the right with him. And Paul says explicitly that no human being will be declared righteous in God's sight by obeying the law. And why is that? Because we haven't obeyed the law. Like, I'm not, I'm not being a smart aleck. Because we are literally not righteous according to the law. And so, by works of the law, we will not be declared righteous by God because we are unrighteous, because we're lawbreakers. So, please hear me again. The law cannot save you. Your obedience to God cannot save you because you don't have any. The law only condemns. Paul, in absolutely explicit language, says that we will not be declared righteous in God's sight through our attempts to obey the law because we can't do it. The law can't save you. Your attempts at obedience cannot save you because you do not and have not and cannot perfectly keep the law. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, you know, Dave, that's pretty harsh of God. He knows that I can't do it, so why am I condemned? Let me ask you a question. Why should he lower his standards for you? Why? Why should the holy God who made you lower himself for you and his standards? Why should he compromise his own holy character and law for you? He won't. He will not. He is unchanging. And he demands perfection. And so you are condemned. Condemned. Hear me, even if you could somehow perfectly keep God's law from this day forward, you would still be guilty of your past offenses. You are objectively guilty, and you stand condemned. The law cries out for your damnation you have offended a holy God by rejecting his law and refusing to keep it and so justice demands your eternal damnation under the wrath of God for your lawlessness and nothing you do can change this for by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight this is all very bad news but praise be to God Paul is not finished writing verse 21 but now stop (laughs) but now these two words are some of the sweetest in all of scripture but is a word of contrast on the other hand so here's the dark but on the other hand but now so Paul says we are condemned and damned according to the law and we will not be justified by our obedience because all we have is disobedience but now We should all be crying out in our hearts, please, Paul, tell me more. My eternal salvation depends on it. Paul, I need to know of another way to be declared righteous with God or I will perish. And the apostle is going to tell us the way. And it is the way of grace through faith in Christ. Paul writes, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The righteousness of God has been revealed, and it is apart from the law. It's apart from the law. And this phrase, righteousness of God, is incredibly important. So give me a moment to flesh this out, and I'm going to retread some stuff we've went on, but bear with me. Paul has made it abundantly clear to us, I think, that we have no righteousness of our own. All we have is unrighteousness and sin. And because of that, we will not be justified. That is, we will not be declared righteous by God. Let me spell that out again as plainly as I can. We will not be declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law, Because we don't have any righteousness by which to be declared righteous. You don't have any righteousness, so God's not going to declare you righteous. We don't have perfect spotless obedience, and so God will not declare us righteous by works of the law. But now, a righteousness has been manifested or revealed apart from the law. That is, it is a righteousness that has nothing to do with our ability to keep the law. And it is the righteousness of God. Meaning it is God's own righteousness. And verse 22 says that this righteousness is through faith in Jesus Christ. That is, it is given to us through faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness of God then is a righteousness that comes from God. God. It's a righteousness that comes to us through faith in Jesus. That's what Paul is saying here. So, if mean, you want to know gospel means good news, please hear it. So, though we have no righteousness, God has now revealed that he will give his own righteousness to us. Whereby we can be declared righteous in his sight. We don't have any righteousness. All we have is sin. But God has decided to give us his own righteousness so we can be declared righteous by him and saved from the condemnation of the law that we so justly deserve. As Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Brothers and sisters, if we're ever to be declared righteous by God, it's going to be because of a righteousness that is given to us. It's going to have to be somebody else's righteousness because we don't have any. It will be by a righteousness, not by a righteousness that we have earned through obedience to God. Why? Because we've already shot that one into the ground, haven't we? But praise God, the Lord says that he will give us his own righteousness to be judged by so that we do not have to be condemned by our sin and unrighteousness. But what is this righteousness? What is this righteousness of God specifically? Well, Paul doesn't go into it much here. But in Romans chapter 5, he gets very specific. And he teaches us that the righteousness given to us is Jesus Christ's perfect obedience to God. It is the righteousness of God. Namely, the righteousness of God the Son, Jesus Christ. That's why this righteousness comes to us through faith in Jesus. It's because it's Christ's righteousness. But in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21, if you read that, you'll see that the apostle is comparing Adam and Christ. And he's showing how Adam's sin and Adam's disobedience led to death, and sin, or sin and death for all who are in Adam. And that's all of us. We're all born in Adam. Adam is our first father. But then Paul tells us of how in Jesus Christ, all who are in him by faith are justified by his obedience. In Romans five eighteen and 19, Paul writes this. He says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So Paul says that just as Adam's guilt and disobedience was credited to all his descendants, so also Christ's perfect obedience to God is credited to all who believe in him. This is the righteousness of God that is promised to all who believe. It is the perfect, sinless righteousness of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was and is absolutely sinless, perfectly obedient to his Father, perfectly obedient to God and his law at every single point. He never sinned. He loved God and neighbor perfectly. He he said himself and proved with his life that his food and drink was to do the will of his Father. As the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 2.22, he committed no sin. (laughs) He just blatantly says it. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. And Paul is teaching us that this perfect, spotless obedience of Jesus Christ... The righteousness of God himself has been manifested apart from the law. This means that we can actually have this righteousness completely apart from our works. And instead of being judged according to to our guilt and sin, we can be judged according to the righteousness of Christ and be found perfect as he is perfect and so declared legally righteous in God's sight though the righteousness is not actually ours it's Jesus's we can have it credited to our account and having it credited to our account God will declare us righteous in his sight because he's given it to us so we want this righteousness we need this righteousness from God but what do we need to do to get it What do we need to do to get this righteousness? Is there some law we need to obey? Is there some commandment we need to keep? Is there some ritual that we need to perform? How do we receive this righteousness from God that we so desperately need? Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. It is by faith. Remember that. It's not by obedience. It is, what does he say in verse 21? Apart from the law. It is apart from any obedience we render to God. It is by faith alone. Why do I say alone? Because it's the only thing mentioned here. It's by faith alone. Not faith and works of the law. No, not faith and obedience. Paul says it's apart from your obedience. It's by faith alone. Then that makes us ask, what is faith? Well, to put it as simply as I can for the sake of time, faith is trusting in God's promise. It's trusting in God's promise. Just as God promised, think of the Old Testament with Abraham back in Genesis, just as God promised to send the Messiah through Abraham's descendants, and Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Romans 4.3, Paul's quoting from Genesis. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God's promise that he would send the Savior, that he would send the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and Abraham believed God. He trusted in God's promise to save through Christ, and God justified him. And we will be justified in the same way. Read Romans four. This evening when you get home. This is Paul's whole argument through Romans 4. We are justified by faith, just like Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So then, faith is trusting that God will do what he said to do. Namely, that he will credit you with Christ's righteousness. That he has done enough through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection in order to save you. If you trust God's promise to save you through Christ, then you will receive Christ and his righteousness and be declared right with God, period. This is the only thing in the world that sounds too good to be true, but is true. Because God has said it. And God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he would change his mind. Has he not promised and will he not fulfill it? As God speaks in the book of Numbers he will do all that he said and he says I will justify the one who has faith in Jesus Christ it really is that simple cast away all of your works as one great preacher said cast your deadly doing down and look to Christ alone and you will receive the righteousness of God And you will be justified in his sight. Paul then goes on and drives home his point about how we are declared righteous with God. Picking up in verse 22, he says, For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is universal. There is no distinction between people when it comes to being condemned by the law. All have sinned. All have disobeyed God. All have fallen short of his glory. That is, all have not glorified God the way that they should. All have not feared him the way that they ought to. We have all failed to live in a manner that declares his majesty and worth. And just as all have sinned and all are guilty, all who believe, verse 24, are justified by his grace as a gift. Let's stop there. Justified by His grace as a gift. Sinners who believe on Christ, who believe God's promise to make them righteous through faith in Christ, how are they justified? Is it by believing and then obeying really well? Is it by any kind of law-keeping? No! Paul says it is by His grace as a gift. Now, grace is unmerited favor from God. And how do we know that? Because Paul says it is a gift. And you don't earn gifts. You don't. And actually, from what I understand, the Greek text here is technically redundant. By grace as a gift, he's repeating himself. It's by grace as grace. It's a gift like a gift. You don't earn gifts. They're given freely. Gifts are not owed. Gifts are not earned. Gifts are just given by a gracious giver. You don't earn right standing with God. You don't do a single thing to earn or merit it. You simply receive it. And you receive it by faith. God just gives it to you. Listen, there's no ladder for you to climb. There's no mountain for you to conquer. No, God just comes to the sinner who believes and gives the gift of righteousness and justification. I can't stress this enough. Please, please hear me. You don't earn right standing with God. It's a gift. If you have to do one single thing, if you have to do one single work of any kind, one ounce of obedience in order to receive justification, then it is no longer a gift of grace. Paul makes this clear in Romans chapter 4, verse 4. He says, Now to the one who works his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. When someone works for an employer and the employer gives them a paycheck on Friday, is it a gift? No. It is his due. It is owed to the worker. So if you have to do anything to earn right standing with God, then it's not a gift. Rather, it's what God owes you. But tell me this, can you, a sinner, put God in your debt? Can you obligate him to save you? Nonsense. Blasphemy. You can't put God in your debt. You deserve damnation because of your disobedience. How in the world can you make God owe you salvation? You cannot. We can't earn anything from God because we can't put him in our debt. But what we can do is receive a free gift from the hand of a gracious God. And that's Paul's point here. We can receive the righteousness of God by grace as a gift through faith. That is no work. That is simply receiving. And God is pleased to give us justification and righteousness as a gift because he is gracious to sinners. This is a good and kind God. Who would give a gift of justification and life to the very ones who have spent their whole lives spitting in his face with their lawlessness. And he says, I will give you a gift of righteousness. This is a good God. And Paul says this gift comes to us through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This redemption refers to the work of Christ to redeem us. This word redemption makes reference to the liberation of slaves at a price. Christ made a payment of some kind in order that sinners might be free. In order that we might be free from sin and the penalty of death and damnation that we have incurred from our disobedience. So you see, Paul actually presents the other half of the problem here now. We don't just need righteousness. We do. We don't just need that. We also need our sins taken away. We need our sins paid for. God will not wink at our sin. He desires to give us righteousness, but our sin must still be dealt with. So that God's holiness and justice is not compromised, so we need someone to pay. Someone must pay. God's justice demands it, and he will not deny himself. And if we pay, we go to the lake of fire forever. And Paul says that Christ made this redemption for us, he made the payment for us so that we could go free and receive righteousness. But what did Christ do? What is this redemption? Verse 25, my favorite verse in the whole Bible. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. What is this redemption that is in Christ Jesus? God put him forward as a propitiation by his blood. God put him forward. He publicly displayed Christ's work of redemption. This is a reference to the public crucifixion of Christ. Christ was publicly set forward by God and he was set forward by a propiti- as a propitiation by his blood. This is one of the most wondrous and glorious phrases in the whole Bible. To propitiate means to satisfy or appease. Specifically, it means to appease or satisfy wrath and anger. And in this context, it refers to satisfying the wrath of God that is due to us for our sin. Christ was put forward by God the Father to be the satisfier of God's wrath in our place. I hope you know this, that on the cross, Christ did not just die a horrible physical death, as true as that is. There was also something much worse for him going on. He was also suffering divine justice for our sins. He who knew no sin was made sin for us. God counted him as a sinner as he was on the cross. And God the Father was merciless to God the Son at the cross. Why do I say merciless? Because at the cross, Christ was treated as if he were us. And we deserve no mercy. At the cross, Christ was numbered among the transgressors, as Isaiah prophesied. And God punished him as if he had committed our sin. He was punished by God, put under the wrath of God, as if he had been a fornicator. Or a porn user. Or a prostitute. As if he had been a child molester. A rapist. A a murderer. He was punished as if he had been an atheist, a drunk, a rebel. As if he had been a liar and a thief and a traitor. He was punished as if he had been a blasphemer, an abortionist, a hater of all that is good. He was punished as if he was a self-righteous religious hypocrite. At the cross, Christ received the stroke of divine justice for all those who would believe upon him. And there he paid for our sins and took them from us. Our sins were credited to his account because he became sin. He was reckoned by God as a sinner with our sins upon him. And at the cross he took the bitter cup of God's wrath and drank it down until there was nothing left. And he satisfied the wrath of God for all who would believe as we sing often the hymn, and on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. He satisfied God's wrath for all who would believe. And he did this so that we having our debt to God erased by his blood, might receive the righteousness of God by faith. And he did this, as Paul tells us in verse 26, so that God would be just, still holy, still the great judge, still refusing to wink at sin, not compromising his law or his holiness. God at the cross was displayed to be just, but also the justifier. The one who declares sinners to be righteous in his sight, the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. It has been rightly said by many men that at the cross, God's justice and mercy kiss one another. And he reveals himself to be holy, but also the gracious and merciful Savior of sinners. In Christ, God has taken care of all of our problems. We have a debt of sin that needs paid for and Jesus Christ satisfied God's wrath and paid our debt. And we positively need righteousness that we cannot earn because we cannot keep the law. And God gives us the righteousness of Christ to be judged by. And all of this, every bit of it, is given to us by grace as a gift to be received by faith It is completely apart from the law. It is apart from any works of obedience. It is received from the hand of a gracious God through trusting his promise to save us. Praise him. Praise him. And now we briefly turn to the apostles' conclusion from this glorious gospel. Verses 27 and 28. Then what becomes of our boasting? What becomes of our boasting? It is excluded by what kind of a law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. There's no room for our boasting. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. There is no room for our boasting, for we are not saved by a principle of works, but rather the principle of faith. For we hold, that is we believe, that one is declared righteous by faith apart from any kind of obedience on our part. God has done it all, all for us in his Son, and we are simply passive recipients of his grace and salvation. May God get it through our heads and into our hearts that our right standing with him is not by our works. It never has been. It never will be. It can't. It's all by grace as a gift through faith in Christ so there's no room for boasting on our part so that all glory goes to Him. We've done nothing but He has done everything and we simply rest in His promise. And now as I come to a close let me say two things by way of application. First, if there is an unbeliever with us this evening I beg you to look to Christ in faith. I I beg you You stand condemned before God. You have no righteousness. You have a debt of sin that you cannot afford to pay. But even now, God is offering you a free and full redemption through Christ. Trust Him. And He will give you everything. But please hear me. You will die. Maybe today. Maybe tomorrow, maybe next year, maybe 50 years from now, but you will die and you will stand in the courtroom of God and there you will give an account to God for your sins and your mouth will be stopped. And on that great day, God will either judge you according to Christ's righteousness or your sin. And apart from Christ, you will eternally pay for your sin under the fierce wrath of God. But behold, now is the appointed time. Today is the day of salvation. Look to Christ today in your seat where you are now. Look to him in faith and receive the forgiveness of your sins and the declaration of pardon and righteousness from God. He will have mercy on you. He promises and he is faithful. And second to the believer rejoice be glad be glad preach this glorious gospel to yourself every day It is by God's grace and not by your merit. By God's grace. It is by Christ and not by you. He's done it for you. Trust in him and rejoice knowing, this is not too audacious to say, this is Bible, your standing with God is the same as Christ's. For you have received the righteousness of Christ through faith which is the very righteousness of God. Amen. Let's pray. Our great God, thank you for your gospel. Thank you for cutting us open with your law, revealing what we are, that we might seek mercy from Christ.